0: I'm the guest speaker. My name's Rob McCoy. (laughs) uh, 21 years of ministry, and for the majority of that time, I never miss more than three Sundays a year. Uh, And this year, I don't think I've been here this year. It's just, it's going to slow down. I've got two more events uh, coming up, and then uh, there's an Israel trip. Um, But after that, I'm not taking any more speaking assignments. I'm Unless God speaks through a burning bush. I'm, I'm tired of traveling. A lot of you thought I was playing hooky last Sunday at the Super Bowl. I was at the Super Bowl, but I, I, I had, there was no flight to get me here on time after I left the Council for National Policy. I could get to Phoenix. And uh, Sean Foyt and Jay Koopman, who both work with Let Us Worship, were given tickets to the Super Bowl, and they invited me. Uh, They had three tickets, they invited me, and I'm like, you know, I really, okay. (laughs) And I I have to tell you something, you saw, if you were watching the Super Bowl on television, you saw the the planes fly over the stadium, they never flew over the stadium. If you notice, there was never a view looking up from the stadium at the airplanes going over. They never flew over the, they, they were late, they were off target. I understand they were all women, they probably had to stop and get directions. No, I just, that's what I was thinking. Oh, come on. <laughs> the men would have just missed it and not even cared. They would have just, no, no directions. Well, I got this, you know. <laughs> we all got our flaws. But, but that was interesting. No, seriously, they didn't fly over the stadium. And I thought, man, what propaganda. They made it. And it was really, no, they didn't. Yeah, I was there. I, I can tell you. Are anyone surprised at that? You upset with me for sharing it? Because I just feel like I've lost everybody. Especially half the room, which is the ladies. My my bad. Let's get to the word, ladies. We pass out the Bibles after I've insulted you. <laughs> There's a reason why I haven't been around. It's yeah. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. They'll give you one. So um, I was I was in um, Pensacola, Florida got in Saturday, Saturday morning, 5 a.m., 4 a.m., Saturday morning, Um, and I I was there for an event with Flashpoint Live, which is, uh, yay, yeah, so there's part of the Flashpoint Army here, it's run by the Victory Channel, which is uh, owned by Kenneth Copeland Ministries, and I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor, and Uh, Kenneth Copeland and Calvary Chapels, our theology isn't aligned. Um, Grateful for what he's doing in affording Flashpoint with Gene Bailey, Pastor Gene Bailey. It's a a remarkable program. Um, A lot of Calvary Chapel pastors wonder what I'm doing on the program. A lot of Kenneth Copeland ministry folks wonder why is he allowed to be on the program. So it's like I'm right in the middle there. Uh, And and Pastor Gene, I'm grateful for him. Uh, It's a it's a show that was started during the election, and then just continued going. and They deal with current events and bring on guest speakers. and I've been a kind of a regular guest, and I was invited to go. They do these rallies across the, company, the country, and they the first one was in. They were launching it, and it was in Brownsville, Florida, which is a uh, subdivision of Pensacola. And I didn't know this um, a revival broke out in this church that we were doing it at. And Gene felt compelled to start the Flashpoint uh, rallies at this church this year. Uh, And this was before the Asbury revival uh, started. He had committed to it because he, though he is engaged in the public square and he's diligent about, you know, tackling all of the current events, he also realizes, as we all do, that Uh, Washington isn't going to save the country, politics isn't going to save the country. Only an outpouring of God's Spirit upon the land is going to save our country. And and I I can testify that though uh, Gene and I have maybe different theological views, we both uh, find commonality in the the intense desire to see an awakening in America. As did the other pastors that were in attendance. I don't hold a lot in common with them. Uh, they're friends. I consider them brothers in Christ. Um, I, I sincerely believe and can see their their desire for awakening and revival, and their joy about seeing Christ lifted up. Uh, how they go about it is a little different than the way I would. And so, Gene uh, wanted to start it out in Brownsville in 1995 on Father's Day in this church where we were a revival broke out, an awakening, and I, I, I was uh, discipled, and I was real young, I was discipled with a cessationist view of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so I considered the, the revival in Brownsville, I thought it was Brownsville, Texas, I didn't even know it was Florida, I didn't even know this was the, pl- I was just going, because they invited me, and I'm like, this is the Brownsville, I thought it was in Texas, he goes, no, it's here. Started in 1995, the church remained open every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for five years and five million people got saved in the church in those five years. (laughs) Now, Brownsville is like nothing. It's it's a dilapidated part of Pensacola, kind of depressed actually. And at this church, you walk in and you know, it's kind of, there's a majesty about it. Like, wow, this was a place where an outpouring of God's spirit occurred and you know, and then I'm, I'm on a text stream with a bunch of pastors, and it, it's not quite divided. There's more in favor of it being a, a revival and an awakening in Asbury, Kentucky, than those who would, you know, try to crush it by saying it's not biblical. And the ones that have come up in contradiction or, or attacking this awakening uh, have, have been... Uh, Corrected because you know they're saying there's no teaching. Well, then we show them clips of the teaching going on, and they say such and such. And then we show them, and we have eyewitnesses that have been there. Uh, TPUSA Faith has covered it. John Root was there. Charlie Charlie Kirk's going to go next week, and everything we've seen is is remarkable. Uh, And also another uh, awakening revival is occurring in Lee uh, University. That one's happening, and it's all Gen Z kids. They're yeah, they're all crying out. So the young people are thrilled and they're seeking the Lord and the old people are trying to tell them why it isn't a move of God's spirit, which <laughs> I thought it was funny. It takes me back to Joel chapter two, verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And uh, I, I'm watching as Christendom is taking a position uh, based on their eschatology, meaning the study of the end times, where they're they're looking at the geopolitical horizon and they're 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 decrying any hope for the nation that God has already judged America, one world government, the Antichrist. And I look at that and I I think to myself, Joel chapter two says in the last days, and it also says in other portions of Scripture that God will pour out His Spirit. So. Okay, so so you have you have the World Economic Forum and, and you have the World Health Organization and, and you've got globalists and, and you've you've got this scandemic and you've got everyone getting jabbed with this mRNA and everyone's thinking, man, you can't stop this, they're just overwhelmed. God loves odds like that. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And and yet we want to, you know, say, well, you can't you're getting in the in the way of the will of God because The Antichrist. The Antichrist is not God's equal in evil. Satan isn't God's equal. He's a created being. As a matter of fact, he's so insignificant that when he's thrown into the abyss, finally, he's thrown in there by an angel that that isn't even given a name. I think his name's Carl. And it's just over. It's just over. Yeah, you can clap for that, yeah. But I I marvel at the credit that Christendom gives to evil as though somehow it's an unstoppable force. The last time I checked, God squishes it like a bug. Proverbs one twenty three: Turn at my rebuke, surely I will pour out my spirit on you, and I'll make my words known to you. Isaiah 44.3, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Ezekiel 36.27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. I share all these because we're watching something happen in Asbury Park and in Lee University and also something started to happen in Brownsville that I, I witnessed. And I think people are a little nervous and scared because this third person of the Trinity is so unknown and so abused in the body of Christ. We attribute so many things to him First, that he's, he's, he's not to be charged with, and secondly, that we don't realize he's doing. It's kind of like insurance companies. The only thing they give God credit for is acts of God, hurricanes, tornadoes, <laughs> right? And, and he's, he's mysterious to all of us, so much so that I've listened to people and heard them say, have you received it yet? Received it? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Why did you say it? He is the third person of the Trinity. He's not, he's not some innate force, some, some energy emanating from God the Father, Jesus Christ. He is a person. You can grieve him. He, he's a restrainer of evil. He is he, he's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of Christ. He, he's referred to as a person. So when you're saying it, you're already lost in your understanding of of this third person of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you think, well, it's a New Testament idea, and yet I just read to you four scriptures from the Old Testament dealing with his office and his title, holy. He he is the one that sanctifies, sets you apart. I say all this because if America is going to be saved, it will need to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon mankind. And he'll bring conviction of sin and transformation of human hearts, which no one in this room has the ability to do. Uh, you, 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 if you're honest, you know that. I mean, I, I mean how, how many times in my life have I, have I said, I swear to God I'll never do that again. And I meant it when I said it. And I did it again. None of you had that problem. <laughs> well, now you're guilty of lying. <laughs> Repent. I, I, the Apostle Paul, he, he's, he's in my camp if, if you don't want to be. The Apostle Paul said, those things I want to do, I don't do those. And those things I don't want to do, those I do. Oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. We are so good at screwing everything up. We are so good at screwing everything up. I I thought today I wanted to talk about him. Him meaning the Holy Spirit. I want to introduce you to him if you haven't had a chance to meet him or you don't know much about him. I want to take time to share with you who he is and how he works. And I say this because we're all longing for him to move in and through us. What's happening in Ashbury is precious. I experienced a touch of that in Brownsville. I wanna show this to you, matter of fact, I hit 10,000 uh, followers on Instagram, and I don't do my Instagram account for those of you. Sometimes I'll respond to somebody when they ask me to, and I'll type it out. Um, so if you think it's personal, it, I, I don't have a lot of time for it. Somebody else does it. But I do give them clips of things I'm doing, and then they post it. And this one, strangely enough, w- had, was, went viral. It went through Facebook, and everyone's reposting it. Because I think America's hungry their, their souls are, they're in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And they're, 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 they're just parched spiritually. And when they see something like this, their heart is moved. And so this is what I posted and this is what I experienced. Take a look. Oh. You guys are getting into it. <laughs> Amen. You know, uh, congregational singing, and I love that that Micah, when he's singing, he stopped singing, and we and one of my favorites is listening to you. There's something <clears throat> unifying about the bricklayer and the billionaire being united in voice the deep baritone of the bricklayer and the alto of the billionaire, whatever it is. And yet in, in unison, it's, uh, it's God inhabiting the praises of his people. <clears throat> and I, I don't think you know this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna share it with you, but the most profound instrument available to man to enter into God's presence through worship is the human heart. And so if you come to church and you say there's not enough wind instruments or they, the drums need to be less, um, you know, and, 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 and you're already, you're, we're, you, you, you've crushed it because you're coming in not with a prepared heart. You're coming in with an expectation and a demand. Music is subjective. I've never, I've never told them what to sing. I, I, I'm getting older and the drums bug me. But, but Tony, man, that guy, that guy nails it, and I kind of get into it. I look at him, and there's joy on his face. And so whatever, whatever my irritation is with my hearing issues, I'm looking at him going, oh, and, and just the joy just settles me. I, Jim Mather, he turns 100 years old this month. Yeah. So for those of you who are lamenting, syncopated rhythms are just bothering. I look at Jim Mather and he's doing this, and you're like, "Well, it's because he's deaf." No, he isn't. The guy is just ripped. If you've ever seen him, he does push-ups or sits. I don't know what he does, but every time he shakes my hand, I have to go ice it. And he's a he's a World War II veteran, Navy pilot. Yeah. So the most profound instrument given to mankind is the human heart. And a lot of folks enter into church and your heart's not prepared. It's not in tune. You rolled yourself in here after a night of binge watching some stupid Netflix series. <laughs> I'm speaking to myself. <laughs> Kidding. There's Sundays that is the case. It's not this one. And, and you, you roll in and you're looking around at everybody and you're just, you're just not there. You didn't come with expectancy and a yieldedness. And, and there's, you know, you, you get frustrated and you wanna blame others. Well, the music just isn't bringing me in that place. We need, we need professional musicians. You know when they bring in professional musicians? You know when they do that? It's when there's no spirit in the congregation. So it's called, it's, it's called simony. It's a great word the buying or selling of ecclesiastical privileges. We we can't muster it, so we bring professional musicians with a a wind section and a string section, and you you go, whoa, that's so great. I just felt the presence of the Lord. And then you just go back to your decrepit life. (laughs) But I've been in a room where, you know, you can have somebody with a nose harp. You know, like a washboard, and then one ring it, ring it, ring ring. It doesn't matter. There's something sincere because every heart is in tune. And, and there's, there's you, you, you can't fake that. You can't buy that. But it requires that our instrument be in tune, which is our heart. And we yield to the Lord. I... I'm on this text stream with these pastors and I'm watching some of them decry what's happening in Ashbury and I got frustrated. But I also know they're not the enemy, they're the opportunity. So I put this video out to kind of address it and try to build a bridge. Um, and and it, it, it ministered to a lot of people. So here's another thing I posted, you get to see my ugly face again, Let's show it, face for radio. It's right? a church in Brownsville, Florida, and before I tell you about it, I wanted to share with you. A controversy over Asbury and whether or not it is a revival. The Word of God's not being preached. Well, that's for people who haven't visited. I've, I've heard the, the Word being taught. And people are, are uh, testifying as much. Um, it seems precious. There's repentance. There's crying out for God. Revival, is J. Edwin Orr, the foremost historian on revival, said, it's like Judgment Day. And that's where you see people repenting. Well, behind me is the Brownsville Church. And in 1995, Father's Day, 1995. Uh, a, a revival broke out here, and in five years, they had services every day for five years, and five million people uh, passed through the doors of this church in those five years. Now, uh, the conversions and the number of people giving their lives to Christ. Now, however history will judge that, the reality is something profound happened. And tonight, we're expecting the same thing, and tomorrow night as well. It's a neat move in this community. Uh, over, over, I think, almost 400 people have come to Christ just today alone. So... I'm here with great expectation, so let's see what God's going to do. God bless you all. Keep praying. Amen. Now, uh, you saw the singing, and it was—it was. I was on the the uh, the side of the of the stage, and I, I was with the congregation, but I could see the stage, and I was listening to the music, and my heart was overwhelmed. I I I. I haven't experienced anything like this in quite a while. And and it was, it was profound and deep um, and overwhelming. The last time I'd experienced anything like that um, was at Harvest Church in Riverside when I was fresh out of college and I'd just taken a job with Helene Curtis. I was single. And I was attending Harvest Christian Fellowship and they said in the Sunday service like, Garrett had said on the, <clears throat> the video, they said, we're going to have an afterglow tonight. And I'm like, afterglow? What is that? Because in college, I'd been discipled, um, and my, my Christian foundation was uh, established by a pastor who was a cessationist, which means he believes that many of the gifts died when the apostles died. So I was, I was raised to see that as heretical, uh, I was discipled in the Christian faith to say, see any of that as heretical, like speaking in tongues and you know, things like that, heretical. It's, it's, it's demonic, seriously. That's how I was, I was raised. But I was attending Calvary Chapel, Harvest, and the teaching was verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. I was growing in my knowledge and love of the, of the scriptures, and, and I, was, I was coming alive to it. The, the word is living and breathing and shepherding a two-edged sword. No pastor causes the word to come alive the pastor may come alive to the word you may come alive to the word but the word is already living it's it's a, a work of antiquity unlike the you know homer the iliad where the author of those works is dead the author of this one is alive he's he's in me right now he's in those who call upon the name of the lord he, he's inhabiting your praises right now that's jesus and 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 his word is is as fresh today as it was when it was written it's it's not like it's antiquated and and Every time I'm in the Word, it's speaking to something I'm dealing with for that day, that week, that month. And if you haven't experienced it, it's just because you're not reading. It is such a profound gift that is alive and ministers. It's the only book in the world. You don't read it, it reads you. And it's, it's, it's powerful. And As I'm, I'm at Harvest Christian Fellowship, and they speak of this afterglow, <laughs> I was sitting next to this girl that I thought was really cute. It wasn't Michelle. Thank God I'm married to Michelle because this didn't work out right. <laughs> and and she was really cute, and she says, let's go to the afterglow. And I wasn't, my heart wasn't in tune to pursue the Lord. It was in tune to pursue her. I'm like, all right, yeah, we'll go, sure, I'll go with you. And a guy named Alwyn Wall was leading the worship. And, and he, he brought us to a corporate place of worship where we were singing the songs without instruments. And it was precious. And there's, there's just something sweet about it. And I was, I was moved by it. I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And, and then, you know, there's just a soft humming and a singing. And he says, now we're going to wait upon the Lord. And I'm like, whoa, wait upon the Lord. Which is, you see this in Acts chapter 1 where Terry in Jerusalem wait upon me until I fulfill the promise that I, I said of the Holy Spirit. And I knew of that, but I was real skeptical. And I'm just quiet and I'm sitting there and she's next to me. And, and I'm in the front left of this small sanctuary and on the right and in, in the front, someone s- starts singing this melodic tune and they're singing it in, in an unknown tongue to me. I'd never heard it. And I grab her hand, I'm like, we're out of here. This is heretical and demonic. I didn't say that to her, but I'm like, I'm going to go. Let's go. She goes, I want to stay. Well, my heart was in tune here. So I'm like, all right. And, and I'm, I'm uncomfortable. And finally, I just said, you know, Lord, if, if you got something here that I don't get, show me. And I just calmed and quieted my soul. And I just stayed silent before the Lord. I waited on him. And sure enough, And I've only experienced this three times in over 30 years of ministry. In the front, right in front of me, a woman starts singing the same melodic tune, which was hard to mimic, and starts singing in uh, English, a language I understood. And I also know, too, that I've heard people speak in a tongue and they interpret themselves, and it's condemnation. Pastors need to repent, and, and I know immediately, because the Bible says that when... You're, you're speaking in a tongue, it's psalms, hymns, and spiritual praises making melody unto the Lord. It's not, it's not con he doesn't speak to man, it's man speaking to God. And this, this woman starts singing, and the interpretation of it is in line with scripture, and it was so profound, I, 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 just, I, I was overcome, where it says it edifies the body, I was blown away. I, 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 it was one of the most profound moves of God's spirit in my life I've ever experienced and And, in the course of it, i've seen it mimicked and 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 counterfeited, but in that instance, it was so real, and i've seen it two other times since then and it's the least of the gifts and I remember at that moment saying, "God, if you can do this, would you and and I found myself with my hands like this, said, "God, would you give me in accordance with your word? Would you give me an outpouring of your spirit with?" You, you say we have not because we have not. So I'm asking for the gift of preaching and teaching. Now I had gotten a C minus in public speaking <laughs> at a community college. I, 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 I sweat profusely. My voice would warble and shake my hands. It was, I was terrible. And I don't all I can tell you is, and, and, and you, you can think, well, it didn't really manifest itself. Well, all I gotta tell you is I'm standing here and you're not. <laughs> So, and yeah, thank you, some days, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I find that when I blow it, like in the last service, I said, shame on you, and, and immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I had to correct that. When, when, when I get in the way of what God's doing, and, the, and my prayers may, may man decrease, that your spirit might increase, when I get in the way of it, I know it. And to step out and, and stand in front of people to talk and, and use your own confidence and your own gifts is void of, you may be speaking truth, but it's void of the spirit, spirit and truth. It, it, it entertains people, but it's not life transforming. And it always takes me back to that place in Riverside at Harvest where I knew at that moment God said this is a gift that is only effective when you're yielded to me. And I say this because I watched as, as that night that you just saw and witnessed with people worshiping, my, my, and my heart was overwhelmed and then the preachers began to preach. Now I can say and, and say it with all confidence, I believe these pastors long for, for an outpouring of God's spirit as much as I do. They're just going about it in a way that I'm wholly uncomfortable with and it's not my, it's not my realm. Maybe it is for you and I, and I, I take it back to my wife, Michelle. Um, we have five kids, four of which Michelle gave birth to. Uh, Natasha, we adopted when she was 12 and I always say that she was Michelle's largest baby and longest delivery, uh, 12 years over 100 pounds. <laughs> But the other children Michelle gave birth to and they were they were all over nine pounds and then Michael, the last baby, was over 10 and that's why we stopped having kids. Um, Michael, uh, and, and each of Michelle's pregnancies would get, uh, her deliveries would get shorter and shorter and it was a Wednesday night here uh, and, and I was a, I was teaching a Wednesday night service and I got a note saying Michelle needs to go to the hospital. I saw her in the foyer, I prayed, we said, and concluded, the worship team came up, I got in the car and drove with her. We barely got to the hospital. She says, go tell tell the nurse to get Dr. Van Geem here. He'll miss the delivery. I go in, I tell the nurse, the nurse says, Miss McCoy, I've been doing this a long time. Go sit down. I'll come in and check her in a moment. I go, no, no, you she says, Mr. McCoy, sit down. I'm like, oh, <laughs> she was like nurse ratchet. You know, I'm like, hmm. so I go back in and, and Michelle goes, is, she, is, is he coming? Is he? I go, no, she said she'll come in. She, she says, it's now. And so I go back in. And I go, excuse me. My wife says, "Now she goes, oh!" And she puts her coffee down. She's irritated. She comes in. Well, we'll just have to see before we call the doctor. And she reaches down to check how dilated she is. And right then, Michelle's water bursts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Do you need a tissue or something?" Because, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and. I'll never forget. I was holding her hand, and and Michelle, I've been with her on all four of these deliveries. She she goes within herself, and she gets real quiet, and she's holding my hand and squeezing it. It always makes my fingers turn purple, and they hurt like for days afterwards. She's squeezing it, but she's just quiet and, and internal, and she's she's pushing and breathing and making no noise. She would be like the best Jewish mother in the you know, in, in, in Poland, in the, in the ghetto, when the Nazis are, she's quietly giving birth, just. <laughs> what a terrible, but you get what I'm saying. And she's, and she's giving birth and she's real quiet. And, and I remember this because Dr. Van Geem didn't make it. He just got there in time to cut the cord. And, and in the room next, to us. This woman is giving birth and she is screaming. And she's pushing and she's just animated and just and they're both doing the same thing they're giving birth. They're just doing it differently. And that's kind of how I felt that night. These guys are screaming. And, and slaying in the spirit and I'm I'm just I'm internal in my pre, in my time with the Lord. And you guys may be screaming and others will be real quiet. And you can dismiss it, but I do know this. I I, I know they long for an outpouring of God's spirit. And I do know that all of us are confused as to who he is. With that, would you turn to Luke 11? Luke chapter 11. And when you get there, would you stand with me? It'll be brief, I won't exhaust you. Once you find it, just stand. I like to do this. Some of you heard me say it, and you'll hear me say it again. We stand for the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate. All right, Luke chapter 11, and I'm just going to read verses 9 through 13. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along quietly. Jesus speaking, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, wait, I lost it, there it is. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. Let's all say this last part together. Ready? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's giving it. Giving is a grace gift and it must be received if it's to be accepted. He'll give it, you need to receive it. Receiving, how do you receive a gift? You hold out your hands. You wonder why people are doing this. It's the international sign of surrender in worship. Sometimes people do this, it's, it's asking. And, and it's, it's profound. And I will say this, and we're gonna cover it. There's prepositions found in the New Testament of, our, of, of how the Holy Spirit interacts with man. And when we're finished today, you're gonna to completely understand, if you come back tonight, what's, what's taking place and what's happening in Asbury Park, or excuse me, Asbury University, and what's happening at Lee University. So let's pray and ask God to do this. Holy Spirit, we're grateful that you are the Spirit of Christ. You're the Spirit of truth. You're the restrainer of evil. You lead us into all truth. We're so grateful for that. You're the comforter, the one who comes alongside. Lord, you bring conviction of sin that we would repent. You awaken us to the reality of truth in the midst of our self-deceived lives. You cause us to come alive to Jesus, because you're the spirit of Christ, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the word, the logos, and so we're grateful. Lord, today, would you, Holy Spirit, minister and touch every life in this room and in the hearing of my voice, bless them, awaken them to who you are and what you want to do, and we invite you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll well, have a seat if you would. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. It's one of my favorite titles that he possesses, the Spirit of Truth. I like that he's the restrainer of evil, but the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Christ, and I love this idea that he's the Spirit of Truth. And it takes me back to Pontius Pilate. When he when Jesus stood before him, And he said, I am the way and the truth and life, basically. He lays it out. And Pontius Pilate says, and he asked a question. We don't know how he asked it. He said, What is truth? We don't know if he said it's given. What is truth? What is truth? We don't, we don't know the condition of his heart. We did at the end because he didn't respond. And and as he was asking what is truth, he's standing in front of the embodiment of truth. Jesus saying, I am the truth. And and the means I and no other, exclusive. There's no other way to the Father but by me. And, And the judgment, he stood before Pontius Pilate, and he, he responded to him in silence. I mean, you talk about an evangelistic opportunity. The man looked at the Lord and said, what is truth? And Jesus answered him, not a word. Not because truth is a simple term too difficult to define. That's not why he did it. The Roman... Procurator, he had um, a moral element which he had no capacity to receive. He was selfish, self consumed, self deceived. One author writes Christ could make blind eyes see, but he could not make a blind soul perceive while pers- persisting in a course of sin. Moral truth can be apprehended only by an active moral sense in sympathy with it. To awaken this sense in dead souls was one part of the mission of Christ. The other part was to reveal the truth. To this end was I born, Jesus said, that I should bear witness unto the truth. All saving truth is centered in his person. I am the truth, not abstract, but concrete, in the form of facts adapted to man's faculties and truths cast in a human mold. Truth is conformity to fact or reality. Truth is conformity to fact or reality. Eternal happiness is in building on the granite of reality and laying every hewn stone by the plumb line of truth. I wish I could tell you who this author is. I don't know. I know he lived in, he wrote this in 1917. He was anonymous. You think he wrote it today? He said, There can be no other destiny for a character thus con- constructed, but sin is a lie. The motive to the first human sin was a lie. Thou shalt not surely die. All the woes of human generations and eternities are serpents coiled up in the delusion. Yet eternal well-being is in Jesus. For every one of the serpent-deceived race who will receive him by faith, for spiritual realities do not address our physical senses, but our faith only. It's in, without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he is. God awakens you to reality, but you're like Pontius Pilate. You doubled down in defending your sin. I was on the stage with Rick Green. This place was packed full of people. This was before the evening's gathering. And Rick asked me a question. He said, what will it take in America for an awakening and a revival to occur? And I looked at all these people and I said, Rick, I don't think you want the answer. I don't think they want the answer. At least not the one I'm going to give. And they're like, okay, come on. All right. You're all suckers, but okay. No, I didn't say that. I said, all right. I said, an awakening are those who love truth. You know what? They clapped the same way. And then I went on. I said, you want to see an awakening in this room? I don't want you to answer out loud. I told them that. I said, but I'm going to ask you two questions, and in the quietness of your own heart, you you answer it. Not, Not out loud. I said, quietly before the Lord, do not speak a word. Just answer this question quietly in your own heart. No one's to hear you said, how many of you took the shot because you believed in its efficacy, its ability to heal you? And how many of you took the shot because you were afraid of the consequences of truth, of losing your job, not seeing your grandkids? You don't love truth. If you love truth, you'd stand for it no matter what the consequences are. You want to see God move? He loves odds that are stacked against him because... He's the God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. His people he declares have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. Fear of man is a snare, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be open to a reality, stand for truth. And the room was dead silent. You when when J. Edwin Orr, the foremost historian on revival, he had three, three doctorates. Oxford, UCLA, I can't remember the other one. He said, revival's like judgment day. God pours out his spirit, man realizes they are in a false reality And they are aligned and understand and see the world through the eyes of God and see sin for what it is. And they are broken and they are on their faces in in humble submission. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. The problem is man would rather double down on their stupidity. And they want to practice simony and bring in orchestras that can You sage the burden in their soul while King David, or David plays the harp while King Saul seeks to kill him. They're troubled, and they come to church wanting to to be comforted without wanting to be yielded, and they judge the worship, and they judge the pastor, and they judge the congregation, and they judge the building, because the one instrument God's given them to worship, their heart, is not in tune with him and they live in deception. P.T. Barnum, an American circus showman, once said, "'Men love humbug and sham. "'They delight in being beguiled and duped. "'This strange infatuation for what is false "'is what gives Satan his chief power for doing harm. "'For no truly wise man wants to foster illusions. "'They end in pain, and if persisted in, "'they lead to eternal sorrow. No sane man ever chose naked evil or pain as an ultimate end. He always chooses what seems to him at the time a good, a means of happiness. The mind has the power to invest the chosen object with all the colors of the rainbow, though it be as black as midnight. The drunkard sees happiness in the cup where the serpent lies concealed. He could see the serpent if he wished. The worldling sees supreme good in millions of money being willfully blind to the day just ahead when he would give it all for an inch of time in which to prepare for eternity. To dispel these illusions and break their power to decoy men to eternal ruin, the Son of God came into the world. He revealed the real good, which is his Father's approval. His love is heaven. He disclosed the infallible standard by which to estimate things. But Jesus Christ, who is the incarnation of truth, has withdrawn his visible presence from our world. How can he now help us to divest ourselves of delusions destructive to our eternal blessedness? He has left a successor. Whose office is to testify of Christ and to reveal him and his standard of values to us. He takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. Without his agency, the absent Christ would be forgotten and his power to sway each successive generation, keeping abreast of the ages, would have been entirely lost. Even the memory of him would have perished. It is his office in respect to the truth revealed by Christ to make it real and vivid to men bewildered and seduced by falsehoods. Sinful pleasures sway them because they are near and present. The Holy Spirit brings eternal truth near and makes them outweigh the vanities of this life he supplies a new measuring rod a sense of eternity and convicts the soul of folly in neglecting its happiness in the golden hour of disenchant the disenchanted soul freed from all illusions gets a view of realities unfolded by the spirit of truth happy indeed is he if from that view his future life is conformed to those realities unspeakably wretched will He be, if he comes down from this mount of vision unchanged in moral purpose and sinks into the shadowy illusions of sin for the rest of his life to pursue phantom pleasures and to grasp bubbles till smitten by the arrow of death, a forgotten reality. The most precious hour in a sinner's life is this hour of correct spiritual vision, commonly spoken of as conviction of sin. We want to remove sin from the lexicon. We don't want to be told that we're wrong. We want to live in our false sense of reality. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. You will be practicing simony because your heart will be out of tune with God, and the only way to feel anything is to pay a professional musician to make you feel something. Without the Lord, we're walking dead people. And that can go on for eternity unless our eyes and our heart awaken to the truth that the Holy Spirit is speaking. That means we must yield. Look, I didn't say those two questions to bring condemnation to anyone in the room. Romans says there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I simply spoke that to tell you do you really love truth? it's an honest question to ask yourself the unexamined life isn't worth living and if you're lying why what is the why in what you're doing is it fear of man because that's a snare an eternal snare or is it fear of God which is the beginning of wisdom what are you afraid to lose and why would you not embrace the truth for the truth will set you free And that requires that our hearts be availed to him. The Lord is the spirit of grace. He's a dispenser of divine favor to all men, either by conviction of sin in order to bless them by turning them away from their iniquities or by imparting to believers spiritual life, witnessing to their adoption and the perfecting of their holiness by his work. He is called also the spirit of supplication because he teaches us how to pray and what to pray for. He's the spirit of revelation because he reveals Christ to the eye of faith, the spirit of wisdom because he imparts wisdom, the spirit of adoption because he certifies a believer's sonship, and the spirit of Christ because he was sent by the Father through the mediation of the Son. He's called the spirit of God because he is one with God in his nature. More things to know of him, the Holy Spirit, is found in John chapter 14. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, just like Pontius Pilate, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Everyone say, with you. you. Everyone, please say, with you. And it's, 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 It's instructive, everyone say, in you. Okay, now those are important. Those are the prepositions, and I'll explain momentarily. John 14 goes on. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. John writes in chapter 15. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. 16. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. John 16 continues. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to the Father and and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Luke, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Everyone say, Upon you. you. And let's do it again with you, in you, you, and upon you. you. But tarry in Jerusalem. Wait, that's what's going to happen tonight. But wait, it'll happen now until you're endued with power from on high. Empowered, dunamas power. Scriptures speak of this. This, this upon you as, as overflowing living water, gushing, bubbling, going all over the place. I'll, I'll show you. The Holy Spirit is with. Paraclete, para, parallel lines. He's with all mankind. The Bible says you believe in your heart, confess your tongue, Jesus Lord. You will be saved the glory of the Father. You will be a temple of the Holy Spirit. He will be in you. And then the Spirit will come upon you. Some of you have that anxiety right now. I have to clean this up. (laughs) Pray God will deliver you. The idea is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he gets not just on you but on everything around you. question I have for you, for those of you who are skeptical of this, though the scriptures speak of it. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. But my question for you based on the scripture is, is your life such that you are overflowing with the Spirit of God, that lives around you are saturated by the living water? And I think we can answer that honestly. There's more God wants to do and we wait upon him. Acts chapter one, verse four, and being assembled together with them, Christ commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We have a supernatural task ahead of us, and we would desperately cry out for supernatural power to accomplish that. Now, I made a mess. We've gone through the scriptures. And we're going to conclude with what we began with. So I say to you, Christ is speaking to you. He's speaking to me, but he's speaking to you. This is is personal. Listen to his words. So I say to you, ask. That's active. Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find. Knock. And it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I close with this last story. I was invited to go to Claremont College for the dedication of the school of Mormonism. And I was a guest of uh, four Mormons. And I was in a car with them. I was in the middle of the back seat, two guys on either side and two in the front. And we drove from here to Claremont in traffic, so it was a long drive. The low man on the totem pole was proselytizing me the whole way. The other three were like, give it a rest. We've already tried. (laughs) I was wearing a blazer, no tie. They were all in these beautiful dark suits with ties. We get there late because the traffic was bad. When we walked in, they ushered us to the front where they had seats saved for us. The place was packed, and one of the apostles of the Mormon church, Elder Oaks, was speaking that night on religious liberty. I sat in the front row. I listened to him. It was a good message on religious liberty. It wasn't super strong, but it was, it was solid. At the end of it, all these Mormons in their suit and tie and beautifully dressed walk forward to meet because it's a big thing in, in the LDS to meet one of the apostles. Big. Huge. And they say, Elder Oaks, he's in his 90s, and he says, Elder Oaks is not m- meeting anyone. And you can see the disappointment. And then all of a sudden, Matt Ball, who runs the Western States for LDS, he sees me and he does this. And I turn to Dave Benson, who's a big wig in the LDS. I said, Dave, Matt's calling you up. He goes, no, he's calling you. Now I knew these guys because they helped me in my run for the assembly when most evangelicals wouldn't, they did. And so I, I go, me? And he goes, yeah. And I start walking up and all of these Mormons in their suits and beautifully dressed are looking at me like, he doesn't even have a tie. You know? <laughs> it's like Moses parting the Red Sea and I walk up. And, and this man's in his 90s and he's like, he's like Jim Mather. He's just fit as a fiddle. And I was shocked to find out his age. And he, and he said, um, I've been longing to meet you, pastor. And I said, well, please forgive me, elder. I, before today, I didn't know who you were. He goes, that's all right, that's all right. I wanted to meet you because I just finished testifying in front of the Mexican legislature because their constitution forbids clergy from holding office. And I testified and used you as a case study because I was holding uh, office as a, as a council member. And I said, wow, I'm, I'm honored. He goes, I'm honored to meet you. I said, well, it's joy to meet you. Gave me a firm handshake. and I said goodbye and I walked down and everyone's looking at me like, oh, he, he shook the hand of the apostle. <laughs> you know, seriously, it was, it was, I'm like, yes I did. <laughs> now we get in the car and we're driving back and it's dead silent. I'm wedged between the two guys and nobody's talking. And I'm like, fellas, did somebody die? What's going on? You're you nonstop talking on the way there. No, you, you, met, you met one of the apostles. I go, yeah, I'm still the same guy that drove here, you know? And then we began to talk. And, and I said, you guys are real ecumenical. You always want to bring the body of Christ together, and you want to unify in the city. And, and the people that never join you in your efforts are the evangelical church. And they go, yeah, how, why is that? And I said, I'll tell you the secret. Why? And they're leaning in like, what? You know? And I said, you guys don't understand justification. You understand sanctification, but you don't understand justification. And they go, what are those terms? I said, justification and sanctification. Um, let me start with sanctification. You guys are really good at that. Sanctification means set apart as unto the Lord. You don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do. You're moral people. You're." You, want to, you, you don't want anything to compromise your availability to God. Certainly not sin. And they said, yes. I said, let me tell you a story about sanctification. Two stories. One is, um, my wife went away on a women's retreat. I had the young kids with me. We had a, a dog named Tinkerbell. We were dirt poor. We had a plate for her that had Winnie the Pooh on it. And we'd always put her dog food on it that we bought from Walmart. Old Roy is all we could afford. And the dog just like, oh, filet mignon. And that dog, that was the cleanest plate in the house. It would lick that thing just, and you always saw Winnie the Pooh when she was done, and there wasn't a smear on it. She just licked that thing, carried it around the, you know, the kitchen, blah, 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 blah. get it in the corner, and just go to town on it. <laughs> My wife leaves, all pandemonium breaks out, dishes pile up in the sink, the kids just are like, when's mom coming home? You know, and <laughs> Kelly, bless her heart, she wants some modicum of decorum. So she tries to serve lunch like mom would and she can make sandwiches and she sets the table and she puts my sandwich on the cleanest plate in the house. <laughs> so, yeah, Winnie the Pooh. I go, I go, sweetie, my sandwich is on her, the dog's plate. She says, daddy, I wash it. I go, I don't care. That plate is sanctified. And I took a moment to theologically train her. That plate is set apart, sanctified under the dog. No one else is to use that. The Bible says that the, 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 the vessels in the, in the, in the tabernacle, the, 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 the presence of where God dwells in the inner sanctum, those are sanctified unto him. You know what they were? They were just a bunch of Old beat up pots and pans, but they were God's beat up pots and pans, just like you're his, you've been bought with a price, you're his vessel. And these guys are like, mmm, yeah. I said one more story for you about sanctification. I had a really favorite cup. It was my Cypress Starbucks coffee cup. I love the feel of it. I had a latte and I went out in the backyard and the tomato plant needed tying up, so I put it up on the cinder block. I tied the tomato plant under the, the the trellis and Michelle calls me in, and I'm distracted, and she's like, really, I came in, yeah, honey, and then it's something else, and I forgot. And as tomato plants do, things just grew, just and I, for the next three months, accused everyone of stealing my cup. Who stole my cup? <laughs> Until the fall came, and the plant wilted, I'm like, my cup, <laughs> and I reach it, and I go to my favorite, my cup, my vessel, sanctified unto me, and I look, in; it's filled with mold, and I said... It was mine, but I couldn't, it wasn't fit for the master's use until I cleaned it. And they're like, oh, yeah. I go, that's you guys. I said, but where you miss it is justification. They're like, what's that? I said, just as if I'd never sinned. God cast our sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. I said, I'll give you an example. One of your bishops came to me and asked to borrow money. I said, Bishop, I don't loan money. I give it and don't go asking me because I'm limited in my resources. And he came back and he said, can I borrow some more money? And I, I said, bishop, I don't loan it, I give it. And to his credit, he came back and paid back every penny. And I told those guys, I, it didn't surprise me. I said, but here's where justification comes in, fellas. They're like, yeah? I said, why didn't he ask you? Why did he ask me? Because you would have judged him. But the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We're all saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by our works, lest any man should boast or judge I said, Christians look at sanctification poorly because we have our get out of hell free card and we continue in sin, thinking, well, I'm going to get out of hell. But you are a dirty cup, unfit for the Master's use, though you're His. And when the Holy Spirit descends upon your life, He brings conviction and reestablishes a reality in your heart. And the way that happens is an act of the will. Prayerfully, this message is touching you. It's ministered to me, and if it hasn't you, then it's selfish. But I'm realizing this is an act of the will. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You have to ask Him. You wonder why people raise their hands? International sign of surrender. This is receiving. You reach out for that gift. Do you really want it? Ask Him for it. But you know what? Maybe you just wanna continue in your self-deceived, self-sufficient, powerless life while the world is crying out for something real to come and free them from theirs. And he's chosen you, but you can't do this without him. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Let's invite the worship team to come on up. Tony, pound the drums. It's all right. <laughs> just keep that joy on your face. You know he's a drummer for the Doobie Brothers? I just, that, and I, I, you guys are like impressed by that. You know who he's really the drummer for? The God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. That's what he's a drummer for. All right, the worship team's gonna lead you and the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you as you ask. And, and the beautiful thing about it is that the instrument you bring to the equation is your heart. Just calm and quiet your soul like a weaned child is your soul within you, Psalm 131. Don't concern yourself with matters too profound. And as the music begins to minister to your heart, and, and it's the spoken word combined with melody as God created the, the heavens and the earth, let, let, let this the truth of his word that saturated you just agree with it. And, and as your heart is moved and, and you, you want the reality of the God of truth and you want to submit to that no matter the consequences of that truth then ask him and you shall receive let's stand worship the Lord Holy Spirit we thank you for this day this is the day that you have made we will rejoice and be glad in it we thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people we thank you that you are here to give and Lord we are here to receive we want all that you have that we would glorify our Father in heaven, that all men, as we lift up the name of Christ, would be drawn unto him, that we would be men and women of truth, both internally and externally, as we are filled with that dunamis power to stand in the threats of the world, fearless of the consequences of that truth, for you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And as we worship you in that spirit and in that truth, we ask that you would truly come upon us for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.